<laughs> no, you guys can keep your seats. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, it's just, I'm sorry. My mom would be so disappointed. Um, <clears throat> so I got my glasses just in case I need them, but I've also printed out really big so I can try not to look at my glasses, but we'll, we'll start as well. So wanted to start with this. We're going to talk about a brand new year and a brand new me. There's a lot of things that I tried to rhyme with year of steer beer. I couldn't, I couldn't get it a good connection to what it would be for. Um, so we just had to start with a brand new year and a brand new year, brand new me. So we want to say first, happy new year. <clears throat> Did you guys, uh, do the pyrotechnics? Um, you didn't, okay, okay, um, did Guile not, did you guys not get that from Guile, does he, okay, okay, let's try it again, um, can we just do the confetti cannon then? No, okay, so, okay, um, well, great, so that's not, so no pyrotechnics, no confetti cannon, okay, thanks Guile, <clears throat> goes to Mexico and it all goes, yeah, okay, with him, <clears throat> So you're a little disappointed that if you knew that there was going to be a confetti cannon or you knew that there was going to be pyrotechnics and there weren't, maybe 2021 was a little bit like that for you. Disappointing. And I'm serious because it felt like we're like, oh, 2021 is going to be a year. We're going to kick COVID to the curb. We're going to be great. And for, for me, it seems like 2021 was kind of like this. Wait for it. Bloop. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. That's what it felt like for 2021 for me. We had these great things that we could come through at this point, and it was really disappointing. But this may be also 2021 for you. I knew that it was going to be great this morning when my car wouldn't start. So I was like, great. So I'm in the garage, jump-starting my own car to go this process. Or this may be where you feel like it is. You're really excited to go these processes um, and, and it's not where it's come from. And so I've got a great new word for you this year. Welcome. Welcome. Because we've put our trust in things that don't matter. We've put our trust in the hope that, oh, it's going to get better. Okay, it's going to be okay. I've got more security in this process. But that's what we've been taught. So what causes disappointment? Some of the things that you might have felt is, man, when I got up this morning, my car didn't start. I'm hoping that it will start at the end of the service. So we're, we're hoping. But here's some things that we've had. COVID has been a, been a huge disappointment to me. I was going to say some of the things that you may have had some struggles or some disappointments with your family over the holidays. Some of you may have your friends have disappointed you or your boss or your company or your job or your loss of job. This is causes us to, to disappointment, but let me suggest something to you, that it's not these things, these circumstances, or people, or things that cause disappointment, but they come from inaccurate or unrealized expectations. If you had that weird uncle, sometimes, <laughs> I am that weird uncle for some of my, my family, but you expect them to act a certain way, and they do, you're like, well, that's just, just them. But if you expect certain people or certain things to happen that you've put your trust in or your ability to say, yes, this is the way it's going to happen, and then, you, then it causes that disappointment. 2021 was that for me. 
2021 was, was probably one of the most challenging years for me. Very challenging. And I'm like, Ugh. But if I would have known what I was going through or what was going to happen to me in 2021, my disappointment would still be this angst of it, but it was like, oh, I kind of expect that, those certain things. I can expect and I can put my trust in the process that is happening. But here's the deal. It's caused from this consumer mentality of the customer is always right. So we have let that embed into ourselves of saying, therefore, if I'm right, therefore, what I think is right, what I want is right, and therefore, I'm always right. You're not. The customer is wrong often. You're wrong. I'm just telling you. If, if, if you think that you're always right, if you think it, that you can, then that it's right, you're wrong. And this is something that, that our culture has, has taught us. You're like, I'm just going to appease you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that... It also comes from the rise of secular humanism. If I dream it, I will become it. I can think it. I can become it. I can do it. No, I will never play in the NBA. I will never play at any type of professional, semi-professional, any type of recreational sporting league. There was, there was one, I used to think of myself a volleyball player. Um, yeah. Um, and there was a guy in my youth group that was convinced that I could play professionally. He's deluded, but he thought that I could. And I'm like, I even then knew then. Yeah, like, no, I think I placed like ninth in a tournament here in Tulsa. That's the, this idea. But we've been taught that if you think it, if you really want it, you can do it. Uh, I don't know. You're going to waste a lot of your time doing the things that you're not gifted at, that you're not called to do, that you're not supposed to do. And finally, it's the, this, what I call the live your best life gospel. That we've been taught that, man, all good things are coming to you. This faith walk is going to be a beautiful, easy, comfortable life. It's false. See, I appreciate the man, you and I know. And there's sometimes that I even think that I'm like, Lord, I've served you with my life. And yet... I'm dealing with some serious, significant disappointment. That's, that's not right. But then the Lord says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. He welcomes us into the fellowship of his suffering. I don't like that. I want the fellowship of my comfort. And he doesn't promise that. So he's, he, this is what we've, what we've talked about. And so what do we do about it? What do we do if we know that we're thinking is inaccurate? If these things will cause disappointment in our life, we then make New Year's resolutions, don't we? Because we're disappointed, so now we're going to go, hey, I want to get in better shape, I want to get in better, read my Bible, I want to get in more highest, so I work harder to make sure that I can do these things. What do all these have in common? I. I want. I want... I want. And so we have this mentality of saying that in order for me to change some things, I've got to do it. I've got to work harder. I've got to work stronger. I've got to do these things that are making it more challenging for me. And, but this, this is not about a sermon that's against New Year's resolutions. I think everybody needs to be able to look past and look forward and say, here's what I want to plan. What I am saying I'm against is what you're saying that your strength lies into. You can't do this. You can't, but we've been trained. You got to do this. So what are the things that we do? You know, if it's to be, do you know, 
It's up to me. There's a problem with that. You know why? Because I know me. <laughs> I know me. And I'm like, oh, if it's to be, it's up to me. Oh, that's a horrible premise. Because here's what, I, here's what the problem is. I waffle between promoting or trusting what I'm good at and hiding or trying to hide or distort my failures and my insecurities. So I present this strong, powerful, good, and I cover this insecure man. I've said often and always that arrogance and insecurity are bedfellows. We want to present these things that we're good at, and we don't want to do these things. I, don't want, to, I want to hide these things, but that's an error. So let me tell you where I put my trust in. These are things that I, as vulnerably as I can, say, here's what I put my trust in this past year. My competence. One of the things that I always try to say is I can do it well. My intelligence, my ability to research, my ability to analyze challenging situations, my emotion, my relational ability and my friendships, my education, my job, my leadership skills. And let me tell you, every one of those have let me down. Every single one of them. And here's the deal. We get promoted for the things that we do well. We don't go, oh man, you're doing this really poorly. I'm going to make you do, I'm going to pay you to do that. And so we have this interplay of what I'm good at, what I present, what I get paid for, what I get promoted for, but really that let me down again and again and again. So let me ask you, what have you put your trust in? Just, just take a moment. Where have you put your trust in of saying, yeah, this is what I can do? Is it my wealth? Is it my job? Is it my family's? I even gave you little dots that you can kind of take that time. No, you go ahead. Want to start? I'm not going to make you shout them out, but I'll wait. Where have you put your trust? Where have you felt, gosh, this is what I'm good at, therefore I can rest and be comfortable and do this on my own? I can put myself into this process of saying, yep, I want to do this. The truth is, I want the Lord to use me when I'm strong, wise, rich, and powerful. This is what I love. The, the Lord goes, man, he's got this together. I'm going to promote him. I'm going to do this in him so that this is where he's really going to shine. And so then there's certain scriptures that come with this. Like 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 21. For the message of the cross is foolish... Okay, hold on. This is not the right one because it was about strength and power. Okay. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but it is... But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the... Okay, again, this is... I don't like this verse. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Well, <laughs> yep. Um... Where is the wise person? Oh, yeah, that's me. I want to be that guy. Where is the teacher of the law? Yep. Where is the philosopher of the sage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Uh, probably goes on. Yep. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. 
And so there's this, what I desire to put my trust in, what I desire the Lord to use me on, is contrary to what he wants to do. Oh, I hope it goes, gets better. Okay, let's do another. Okay, brothers and sisters, think of you when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Okay, this is where he's going to say, but now I brought you all those things. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Great. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things in this world and the despised things and the things that are not. So now it is even things that don't even exist are nullifying our wisdom, our strength, our power. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness and redemption. So our righteousness, holiness, and redemption comes from where? God and God alone. So if we start to put our trust and our ability and our worth in the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we believe, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. It is this complete absurdity of saying, yep, I can do this. And it's a challenge. It seems that my wisdom, my strength, my wealth, and my power are antithetical to God's plan. Can't you use the wise, the strong, the wealth, and the powerful? Yes, he can. But does he? I've seen him again and again, over and over again, use those who are weak, who are foolish, who are poor, and who are powerless to bring about his kingdom. Why? Because he's so concerned with it not being about us, but being about him. It's in his power that we can do these things. For this is the, this is the challenge for me. This is probably the most challenging scripture for me. But he said to me, and this is right after Paul talks about all these things that he's done well. All these things that I do. And the Lord gives him this thorn in his flesh. And he said, Lord, take this pain and let me do all these things that I'm really good at. And Jesus, and he, and he said, but, but, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. <sighs> I don't like that. My flesh cries out against that. It wants to resist that. Therefore, all right, Paul, you will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is where I struggle. I struggle with this. I don't like this. I don't want to be the weak guy. I want people to go, yep, that's the guy. But if I want people to say that's the guy, Jesus will go, that's not my guy. Oh, so I struggle with, do I want to be this wise, wealthy, powerful, strong person? Or do I embrace and exalt my weakness so that the Lord can take care of me? That's the choices that we have. So what do you choose? You have self-sufficiency. 
And this is what I call about the liability of strength. Some of us have been given gifts, talents, and abilities. I would say all of us have. But that we can actually kind of half-heart it, soft-sell it, kind of slow-burn it just so that you could do it, and do it just enough to where you're kind of, ah, it's easy for me. How much have you trust yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually of self-sufficiency? Let's talk about so some scriptures talk about self-sufficiency. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? Yep, that's, there is no more hope for him than a fool. Okay. Okay, so if you think you are wise, and this is a scripture that always confused me, the brother in humble circumstances should exalt or take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich exalt in his low position. I'm like, so Lord, you're saying that wealth is in a low position? I don't get that, but you can have so much freedom to do, and I've fantasized about all that I would do to help other people and encourage this... And I said, Lord, why is it that the rich are in a low position, but the poor are in humble or humble circumstances or in high positions? Because, and so I felt like the Lord told me this was instrumental for me. So the brother in humble circumstances realizes his need. The one who is, in, who is rich doesn't yet realize his need. And so I'm like, oh, so they use wealth as their pacifier that brings no sustenance or life to them. Because until they recognize their need, then they don't reach out and call upon the Lord. So the brother in humble circumstances, it's a high position. Because you recognize, you're able to recognize your own need. Keep your life free from the lump of money and be content with what you have. And then you, you want to talk about more about resisting this pr- the proud or exalting the humble. Man, I'm reading a book right now called Ego is the Enemy. And it just stabs me again and again. Going, yep, there he is. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's all what I'm thinking. <sighs> but our choice is either self-sufficiency or Jesus-dependent. So it is this embracing our weakness as in engaging the Lord in this process. So the Lord says, if we draw near to him, he's, he'll draw near to us, which is beautiful. You know that Jesus also said, no, no person can come to the Father except he who is drawn by the Holy Spirit. So how do we get drawn, how do we draw near the Lord? So if no person can come to the Father except he who is drawn by the Holy Spirit, how do we draw near to him? Through the Holy Spirit. You can't even draw near to him without him. You can't even say, Lord, I want you, without the Lord saying, you need me. So there's this humility of saying, okay, I can't even come to you without you. But when I come to you with you, you get closer to me. He's doing all the work. Do you see this? Do you see this beauty of it? The Lord is near to all who call on him. And to all who call on him in truth. Man, he's so close. Let us then come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Come to me, all who is heavy and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And there you will find rest for your soul. So here's the beauty of it. You have two possible choices. One, a self-sufficient individual who relies on their own ability to make their own way, to make their own way forward and vehemently justifies their actions to prove that they are not wrong. Or a broken individual 
who recognizes their need for Jesus and welcomes him into their sin, their weakness, their insecurity, and their frailties. That's the two choices that you have. Either you can do it on your own, or you can do it dependent upon Jesus. And the truth is, you can't do it on your own. Because if you think you do, the Lord will give you options to do more. So when I, I was in Guatemala, and I was leading a team, a little team, small team, about 100, and uh, it was fun. And, uh, and there, was a, there was a student on my team, I went to, to lunch, and they had these little peppers at the table. They looked like little peas on a stem. It was just this little, little pepper, and, I, and I'm like, oh, that's fiery. That's hot. That is really, mm, kicks you. So during, and I like hot stuff. And so I had two of them during my entire meal with the food and everything. And so I commented how great they were. And so they sent me this little uh, to-go cup with about 20 of them in there. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to eat this in my lifetime, much less before they go bad. So I had them in my room and this, this student came in and he said, hey, what are those? I'm like, hey, those are hot peppers, but be careful. They're, they're hot. And he was like, no, they're not. And I'm like, you have no idea. But you think they're not? And I'm like, okay, try one. So he bit one off too, and he's like, that's not hot. I'm like, try another one. He's like, that's not hot. I'm like, try another one. He had four of them in his mouth before it kicked in. And then he's out at the water fountain outside just trying to cool down his mouth because it was so hot. And I've come to that. That happened 24 years ago. And the Lord comes back to me that picture again and again and again to say, you think you're doing it on your own? I'll give you one more. You think you can do it? Have some more on your plate. Take another one. You think you can do this without me? Go right ahead. Come on. Take another one. And I see that kid in his eyes firing wide in pain until he said, enough. I need help. And until you get to that point, if you haven't gotten to that point yet, great, you're pretty strong. Take another one. <laughs> Take another one. Until you get to the point where it's like, I can't do this. I can't do this without me. So either we embrace my Jesus in my weakness or embrace my strengths in my own self-sufficiency. Where do I want? I want to embrace my strengths. I want to say, this is what I'm good at. This is how I show, this is who I am. Oh, yeah, look at me, high five. But that's the two options that we have. Let's see if we have those, an idea in scriptures, okay? Do you think we have a picture of this? Yeah, we'll do. I'll, I'll read it to you. Luke 7, then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. How many people owed money to a moneylender? Two. Two. One owed him 500 denarii and one other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of them both. 
Which of them will, they, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he tour, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Look, do you see this woman? I came to your house, but you did not give me wa- any water to my feet. But she has wet my, t- my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. So from the time he entered, would that suggest that she was already there? Oh, now we're meddling a little bit, aren't we? You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say, who is this even who forgives sins? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A broken woman who was just a despicable woman who had done horrible things. Yet the Lord said to her, go in peace. Go in peace. So then, it isn't that one had wealth, talent, and opportunity, and one did not. It is that one welcomed Jesus and one did not. So I have compassion for this Pharisee because I think of myself more like him. And when I look at it, at that time, I probably would have been a Pharisee. Teacher of the law, working in higher education, working in teaching, training. I probably would have had that same struggle. Because the opposite of embracing the Lord's in our weakness is not rejecting the Lord and living in our weakness. It is the welcoming the Lord in those things. So how many people had debts? Both of them. Both the Pharisee and the woman had debts. One had a little, one had a... Who were forgiven of them? Both of them. And so there's this idea of saying that because he had more... Eh, I don't need you as much, Jesus. And that's where this liability of strength, we start to recognize that we have more strength, more ability, and we have less need for Jesus. That's why it's called a liability. That's why I call it the liability of strength. You don't yet realize your need for him. So which one do you relate more with? I don't want to relate like the woman. I don't want to be coming to Jesus slobbering and wet and crying and weeping and breaking the only thing that I had used in my trade. So then the the Lord goes, okay, how do I trust in the Lord with all your heart? Lean not in your own understanding. Here's the kicker in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. How many ways? All your ways. So it is this welcoming. Yep. Looks like we're done with that one. She's like, I will not be silent. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's on. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
in every single one, we have, we have misunderstood the, the idea that God cannot be around sin. A holy God. The Lord has rejected our sin. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Where can we go away from the Lord? Nowhere. So who visited the Lord to talk about sifting Job? Satan. So Satan was actually in the presence of the Lord. So where can we go in our sin that God is not present? We want to convince ourselves that he's not. God, I got this. So there's this invitation of welcoming the Lord into my brokenness, into my very sin. So last night I had trouble sleeping because I'm speaking this morning. I didn't know if you knew that, but I'm speaking right now. And as I laid down, my mind was thinking, okay, how do I do this? How do I present? How do I blah, 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 blah? And I just, my mind was just chaos. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I welcome you into my pain. I welcome you into my brokenness. I welcome you into my own desire to present well on a sermon about being weak. <laughs> do you see the, the chaotic mind that... <laughs> So I just welcomed him, like, Lord, I'm yours. If I fall and chip my teeth on the steps on the way up to speak, and I leave because I'm taking out in a bloody mess, Lord, in my brokenness, I give myself to you. But this is antithetical to our culture. I would even say our Christian culture. That we don't want to go into this like, okay, yep, here's where I am. The one thing that I say to Guile over and over again is you need to live your life transparently in brokenness in front of this congregation. And he's like, I know that's hard. Because I don't realize, I've been thinking about this for like six weeks now. Well, I've been dealing with it like five years. But this is the process of going, okay, how do I embrace myself and lean not in my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do you not be wise in your own eyes? Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your soul. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barn will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So how do you do that? You give it away. You give it away. You give your first fruits away. How do you bring health, don't be wise in your own eyes. You, in all your ways. And here's where we, I want to give the Lord, I want to envelop, invite the Lord in my strength. I want to do that. And then it goes on. So if we can't do it on our own, the Lord says, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. If you're thirsty, come. Anyone who desires, drink freely from the water of life. Now here's my favorite verse in the whole script in the whole Bible. Now where the Lord is, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I want to be there. I want to be with the Lord in freedom. I don't want to be in my own bondage and my own weakness and my own pain and my own struggles. I want to be with Him. But in order for Him to be in that with me, I've got to invite Him into my brokenness. And here's my favorite scripture. And we all, who with unveiled faces, 
we talk about unveiled faces, contemplate the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Spirit who, from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's break that down. Unveiled faces. So when there's nothing covering between you and the Lord, when you have broken before him your alabaster jar, say, Lord, this is all the crap that I am. This is all where I put my trust in. This is everything that I hope in and believe in. Here's me. Unveiled faces before the Lord. And it says, contemplate the Lord's glory. It comes from the tradition of contemplation. When you, to look upon or to gaze upon. When you contemplate something, it's like when you see a beautiful painting from by one of the masters and you just look at it and you just regard it. And there's something that happens also then when it starts to regard you. That's the beauty of contemplation, where you're sitting transparently before the Lord without a veil between you and allowing the Lord to look upon you and you look upon him. The result of that then is our being transformed into his image. How did Jesus call his disciples? What was his, what was his words? Do you guys remember? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, come here. That's intimacy language. He first wants to be with us. Follow me. That's obedience language. But you've got to be this intimacy first, then obedience comes as a result of that intimacy. We've got it backwards. To the point where I'm like, all right, I'm doing the right thing, Lord. Therefore, now you want to be with me. Ah. He wants to be with you in your brokenness. What did he say to the woman with the alabaster jar? Go in peace. That's the beauty of this. And then, then I will make you fishers of men. That's transformation language. Who transforms us? He does. He does. So when it says, in all your ways, the beautiful story, <clears throat> when I was working on my dissertation, um, I looked at my data for about two and a half years. <clears throat> And I went from a phenomenological study to a grounded theory. I won't go into the details of my, my program. <laughs> but the basis of a grounded theory is to develop a theory. Yeah, you got it. And I was stuck because I couldn't figure it out. In my analytical brain, in everything that I'm good at, I could not figure it out. So on January 15th of 2015, I looked at my data for two and a half years years and I said I don't know what I can't figure this out and so at that point I all I did was like I said Lord you're gonna have to do this because I can't figure this out and I felt like the Lord said to me are you ready to write with me rather than for me and I'm like well clearly the other hasn't worked so let's go and so I remember sitting there going, I can't do this, Lord. You're going to have to do this. Yes, I will write with you. And within 30 minutes, I am kid you not, within 30 minutes I developed my theory after looking at it for two and a half years. It was one of those things to where I go back and go, oh, in my best analysis, I couldn't figure it out. But just me calling out to you, you can, oh, it's easy for you. And here's the beauty of it. So our response is to come to Jesus with authenticity, receive his mercy, 
And hell, let him transform us. Let him transform our situation. It is a beauty thing. So here's the deal. When Jesus said, when Moses said, show me your glory, Lord, this verse always scared me. When Jesus, when, when Moses said, show me your glory, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on you on whom I will have compassion. I love all that, but here's what really scares me. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. I'm like, I don't know if I want to see Jesus. But he's saying, come to me. Let me see you. I want to reveal myself to you. So what happens with a holy God? What happens to sin in the presence of a holy God? It's destroyed. There's freedom in Christ when you come before him. That's the beauty of it. But it's also the scary thing because I put my trust and my hope and my belief in certain areas that are now sin. And the Lord will destroy it. And when we have taken the, our own pacifiers now that we've put our hope in and our trust in that the Lord wants to destroy. And that's scary because we've put our trust in things that do not matter. We've become good at things that have no consequential evidence, that has nothing to do benefit to our life. I'm really good at X, Y, Z. And I won't, I'll go through just quickly my, my, uh, my beauty of um, the Lord's engagement with you. I am the vine, you are the branches. No one remains in me, if, and one who remains in me. And I in him bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. He's even saying you can't do anything without him. Therefore, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly and truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For from him and through him and to him are all things. We can't do anything without him. So if he says he's in all things and works through all things, for us to working without him is foolishness. So I ask you again, what have you put your trust in without Christ? We can wait. Do you have, maybe, maybe I'm just the one preaching to myself. Have you guys done this? Why do we do this? I would suggest that it's easier to look at something that I can tangibly hold on to and say, yep, I trust that. The Lord goes, now, for what is unseen, I will bless you, who the, those who believe. Who Unseen. Oh, yeah, Lord, I come to you. Um, so we can either invite him into our brokenness or go it alone in our own strength. So I was in this um, Isaiah kick for a little bit, and I love this beauty, and I'll, I'll get close to closing with this. For those... For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. I want to have that. I want to be restful and saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. I like that. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. So our response is to cry out in our brokenness. Let the Lord come to us and let him heal us. Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of, time of distress. And in the Lord alone, our deliverance and strength. <clears throat> so here's the beauty of it. 
We can either welcome the Lord, like the woman with the alabaster jar, or we can just have the Lord around us like the Pharisee. And I think I've gotten really good at being a Pharisee that's got around the Lord, but learns how to trust my own ability. And so this breaks everything that I've known and trained and done well with. What have you put your trust in? So what have I trusted? How have I trusted myself and my ability? Some of you may have been trusting your woundedness or the experiences that have caused trauma in your life. You're like, oh, this traumatic experience that I feel is more familiar, so I'm going to hold on to that rather than welcoming the Lord into your trauma. And that's painful. Because the thing that I probably rest on and rely on most is my competence. And you know what the Lord does? He puts people in my life that says, I believe that you're incompetent. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Can I have another? (laughs) Because in reality, I want him because we've tasted what is good. So my question for you is, what have I trusted my own, my own ability? So then how do I offer my gifts, my talents, and my abilities to the Lord? How do I welcome him? The beautiful thing is this, is the prayer of Moses. Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? I would do that as a, for the last five years. I would, I would go in the process of like, okay, Lord, I can't believe that you're in this situation. Would you reveal yourself to me here? I welcome you into this. Even with this crazy, I had this woman who was angry with me. Unrelated. It shouldn't have been, but she was. And I was like, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? And I I felt like the Lord very clearly showed me a little bit of her pain that she was speaking on behalf of. And I'm like, oh. You know what that created in me? It created compassion. So then I spoke with compassion to this woman it's funny because then about a year and a half later, I hadn't spoken to her a year and a half later, she sends me this box of chocolates from this thing. And I'm like, and she was like, I really apologize the way I talked to you about that. It was a beautiful thing. But all I did is I welcomed the Lord into my brokenness and my pain and my situation. So it's the prayer of, of Moses. Lord, would you show me your glory? The third one, how do I offer my brokenness, my woundedness and my pain to the Lord? You realize that he's already there. It really is just opening your eyes and to say, Lord, I welcome you. It's what I did last night to be able to go, Lord, I welcome you here. And finally, the last question that I have for you, how do I welcome the Lord into all components of my life? How do you do that? How do you sit there? How do you welcome the Lord in this process of pain, of joy, of strength, of disillusionment, of turmoil. There's a song that I want to just close with this, and if you guys will will play this, um, let's just listen to the words of the song um, and let the Lord welcome him in. It's called the welcoming song.
the beauty of welcoming him in and letting go of what you put your trust in probably your whole life. It's a process. It's constant. It's a continuation of saying, Lord, I welcome you here. And Lord, I let go. So let's pray. Jesus, we welcome you into our brokenness to our pain, our wounds, our trauma, our sin, our debauchery, Lord. We welcome you in our pain that we've held on to for so long, Lord. We welcome you here. Please, would you heal us from ourselves? And Lord, we let go of our strengths, our talents, our ability, our wisdom, our power, our wealth, our need for control and security, and the absence of pain. We release that and we welcome you in to do with us as you wish. Lord, have your way in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for uh, listening to my internal struggles <laughs> and all that you do. Anything else that you guys have? All right, great. Have a great week. We'll see you guys here next week.